few years ago, I read in a, a book uh, by a sociologist named Leonard Sachs. Actually, I think he's a cl- clinical psychologist. Um, it was about like how we've had a crisis in the last few a generation or so of um, people kind of becoming adults, so to speak. You know, you've heard of hashtag adulting, like people just sort of not really knowing how to be an adult, like how to cook or how to do their taxes and like basic um, adult things kind of for whatever reason for a generation, my generation, millennials, and I imagine you Zoomers as well. uh, There's just sort of like a feeling of how do I do this? Like nobody's told me or given me the manual on how to do it. And there's all sorts of theories on that and, and um, how that's happening and the internet and smartphones and, and all this atomization of our society. But one thing that he pointed to that really struck me was um, a study that showed that the more you ate dinner with your family growing up, the more likely you were to finish college, to get married and stay married, to have a higher income later in life. Basically, like all the metrics of, of happiness or human flourishing increased in the measure that you had dinner every night with your family. And it was like even to the point where when they did the survey of all these thousands of people, like the person who had dinner with their family five nights a week did worse than the person who had dinner with their family six nights a week, etc. So every night of the week that you sat down all as a family and just as a family and ate together, that predicted success. And his theory about that was that when you didn't do that, there wasn't like this stability uh, around your relationships of unconditional love. You know, and so you might go eat with your friends at, the fr- at your friend's house, or, or you might you know, all eat at different times in front of the TV, but you never really interacted with your most important relationships, your family, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, those people who love you no matter what, or at least they should. Right? Um, that you had this thing communicated to you through your whole upbringing that this was primary. These relationships come first. And in the measure that they did not come first and relationships of conditional love did, like your friends, your teachers, your coaches, you know, if you don't perform well, you don't make the team. If you don't study hard, you don't get a good grade. These things where they're like, if I don't perform well, I don't get the love I'm looking for, uh, then your identity is in, in, in question all the time. And so there's, there's this restlessness and there's this uh, disquiet in, in the heart that leads to all sorts of acting out and things like that. I read this around the time that this show came out, and you might remember it was called 13 Reasons Why. It was on Netflix a few years ago. It was about teen suicide. It was a very controversial show at the time um, because it depicted a lot of this, this um, really difficult stuff in the life of these teenagers. Um, and it was all around this one girl who had taken her own life and sort of was, had like told other people how their actions had affected her and her decision by leaving these tapes that they all had to listen to. And it was very dramatic, uh, um, very heavy show. But what struck me about it was, after having read this uh, book by Sachs, that the main character, Clay, his... Uh, his family's pretty intact relative to all the other families. Like, his parents are still married. He still lives with them, and they, they, you know, interact on a regular basis. You know, they eat breakfast around, you know, at the same time, even though he's, like, making his toast and running out the door. Like, they are a family, and yet the parents have no clue what's going on in his life. And he has no... He, he communicates very uh, openly that he is, has very little interest in sharing with them what's really going on in his life because he's sure that they won't understand. 
You're like, you're, you're just adults. Like, what do you know? All this stuff is happening in my life, all this drama, all these relationships, all this heartache. But you have no idea because you can't understand it. Um, and so, like, all of the drama of the show is about these teenagers' relationships with each other, and they have no relationships with their parents or with the church or with God that would root them in anything unconditional, un- anything stable. And so it's just mayhem. All this hurt. Be- people being hurt themselves and then hurting other people. Um, and it begs this question, what is my identity? What is your identity? Where do we get our identity? What is my concept of who I am and where I belong in the world and why I belong? Or a more basic question, why is it good that I exist? Why is it good that I exist? I think that's what we ultimately all hunger for deep down is an answer to that question. And we're looking for it and we, we do things and we pursue things because we're looking for an answer to that question. Who am I? Why is it good that I exist? I would say it's very mysterious what Jesus is doing in the desert today in this reading. Why he goes out, the Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert to fast for 40 days. And it says, he ate nothing in those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) 40 days of not eating anything. And he experiences this hunger, which is physical, of course, but... What it's also symbolic of, emblematic of, is the spiritual hunger that he's experiencing in his humanity. Even though he's the divine son of God, he's experiencing with us, in his humanity, which is our humanity, this question, this ultimate hunger, because one does not live on bread alone. What we actually want, what we actually hunger for, is this answer to the deep question of what it means to be human. And his identity is tested by the evil one, how do you know? Because he's, he puts it in a conditional statement. Literally, like the grammatical construction is a conditional. If you are the Son of God, then do this. Turn these stones into bread. Jump off this parapet of the temple. Bow down and worship me. He's putting all sorts of conditions on his identity, which, of course, Jesus knows it's completely unconditional. He's just experienced a few, few days prior his baptism when the heavens opened up and the Father's own voice says, Wow. Heaven's just opened up. Uh, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. He is rooted in that truth. The evil one can't come and question that. But, But he does do that with us, doesn't he? And notice what Jesus does in response to the evil one's conditions. He quotes scripture. He quotes the word. Like even Jesus, he doesn't argue with his own ideas or concepts or, or hunches about who he is or what the answer to that doubt is. He just roots himself in the word. He roots himself in the Lord and what he has to say. He says, one does not live on bread alone. You shall not live, put your, the Lord your God to the test. You shall worship the Lord alone. These things that don't change, they're kind of like anchor truths, things that anchor your identity. And you should have some. Because the evil one does come. He tries to uproot that identity. He tries to pull us out of who we really are so that it's all mayhem, it's all drama. Man, who am I really? And I've got to put other people down in order to lift myself up, etc. What are your anchor truths? Some of mine are, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. That's Jesus' baptism, which I'm baptized. That's how I'm united to Christ. I'm in him. I'm an adopted son. 
And so the Father says those words to me. That's always true. No matter if I'm doing good that day or doing bad that day, the Father says to me, you are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. That doesn't change. Or another one for me is Jesus on the cross looking down at, at St. John and his mother Mary and says, woman, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. And he says that to Mary to, about all of us. We are her children. That doesn't change. I can go to the Father. I can go to Mary. Or what Jesus says at the Last Supper, just before he's about to die, and he knows his disciples will flee and they'll be scared and they'll question who they are and, and what they've been doing and, and whether or not Jesus is really true to his word or he's really the Lord. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. These are things that never change. These are anchor truths. And when I believe them, and when I listen to them, my identity is stable. Whether or not I win or lose, if I, if I succeed or if I fail, if people like me or if people are really not sure about me, these things, the way that God sees me, these relationships of unconditional love, the one relationship that is actually faithful and unconditional, um, that roots me in who I am. And it's what I hunger for. But the moment that I let the evil one come in and, and point my heart in any different direction and say, no, what you really hunger for is this, bread or, or pleasure or fame or honor or, or feeling important or being productive, um, that's the moment that I'll be happy when, you know, if I just, once I get through finals, you know, once I, if I just get good grades in college and I get a good job, then I'll, you know, my identity will be stable and I'll, I, I won't have to worry anymore. I won't feel this question deep down, am I, am I really worth loving? Am I really worth anything? The moment my heart is pointed at anything other than communion with God, friendship with God as my ultimate goal is the moment I'm unstable and I'm scared. And no matter how much of that thing I get, people's validation, pleasure, whatever, I'm more and more dissatisfied. It's never really satisfied. And, and the more and more frustrated I become, and then I become disgusted with myself and ashamed and isolated and alienated. And then I start taking it out on myself or on other people. And it's this bad cycle. But at every single moment, those anchor truths are still true. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to tip my hand a little bit here and tell you what I'm trying to do, basically with every homily, is persuade you that this is what our hearts are longing for. All of our hearts, my heart, your heart, what we hunger for is communion with God. It's what we're made for. And that's why we're here. What, what every homily leads to is the Eucharist, that truth, that bread that comes down from heaven, his flesh for the life of the world. But it's not the kind of thing that can be grasped at. And that's why a lot of times we, we point our hearts or we let our hearts be pointed in some other direction. Because it's not the kind of food that makes our hunger go away. As a matter of fact, the more you receive this food, this bread from heaven, the more you want it, the more your desire grows, the more hungry you become. But not in this frantic, scared, um, you know, like lustful way where you're, you're trying to possess or grasp at the thing you hunger for, but in this open, serene, and humble way that you just receive and you trust that I can give myself to this one. I can come as I am because my identity is not in question. Who I am 
is who I am related to, who is God, and God is love. This is what our, hunger, what our hearts hunger for, friends, and we're here to receive it.